I'm Aysan, and this is the Friday Show. It's been a trophy-winning week at Manchester City, and joining me to bask in that glory, I've got the podcast's answer to Kafka and Foucault, Howard and Steve. Good morning, Howard. (laughs) Literally no idea what you're talking about there. Which one are you, Kafka or Foucault? I don't know who they are. (laughs) Okay. Steve, which one are you? I'm without a doubt Kafka. Excellent. That's, I like it. I like it. I, I have heard um, of Kafka, actually, but I'm still not much the wiser, so. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. All right. Well, listen, it has been a busy week, and we have got a packed show, so we're going to dive right into it. Opening question, part one. The return of the Mac. Brendan oh. Rodgers is back at Leicester. Um, who's going to go first with this? Howard, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> Your thoughts on... Brendan Rodgers' return to Leicester and his mid-season exit from Celtic? Uh, well, as a Premier League football fan, a bit of a groan. Because whilst he was seconded away in Scotland, I could forget about watching him and his teeth and his <laughs> and his manner, his manner and his rousing speeches and his documentaries and his... Uh, I don't know. But... I, but Hand on heart, I think it's a pretty good fit for Leicester. Uh, I think, you know, from his time at Liverpool, which, you know, and let's be honest, nearly winning the league was a tremendous achievement uh, that season. Then it went sour. But I think he's been... Leicester have got a very good squad that's underperforming. They've got a very young squad as well. They've bought well. They're going about to build, I think, one of Europe's premier academies as well. You know, that will probably match ours, apparently. So... They're all geared up, and I think he's quite good with young players. And I think he will, at the very least, in the short term next season, next eighteen months, uh, g up that team. So for the for the club itself, I do think it's a pretty good fit. Uh, but why couldn't he wait till the summer? I think it's. I'm, I've no doubt Leicester, Leicester are not going down, nor are they finishing in the top four or the top six, nor are they in any cup competitions. So they could have put the whoever the assistant manager in until the end of the season, giving him some experience or anyone in within the club and got him in the summer. I find it very strange. Now, a treble in Scotland might not mean the same as a treble in England, but it's a very strange team. Uh, time for, for Rodgers to leave. I hear he was, mm. think he was having a few arguments, fallouts with the chairman over perhaps the way the club was going, but still... We're in March now. <laughs> you know, we're only talking about another two months. When you're on the cusp of so many things, it's a very strange timing for me. I've no doubt Leicester would have held on for him if he said, "Look, I'll definitely come in the summer." But you know, for Leicester, yeah, I think uh, it's a, a good appointment. But God, he's going to annoy the hell out of us again. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen Tudor. I hate him more than I hate anyone else in football or in life. Um, <laughs> since since Thatcher died, I oh I have zero respect and zero time for him. And the fact that he's back in English football and back on Super Sunday in front of Super Sunday cameras and on the back pages again, well, when it happened, my heart basically went down through my legs and just resided in, in my trainers. And they've been it's been there ever since. I can't be asked with him. I can't be asked with him being back. I find. Z- absolute zip humour about the man. Everyone seems to think it's really hilarious how David Brentian he is and loves sharing all the memes and stuff. I just don't find it humorous. I think he's a pious, condescending, hypocritical, odious man who is 
so boorish and, and so full of self-importance as to defy belief. When people talk, like the national conversation recently is about why people, why Liverpool fans or Liverpool has become so unpopular and why nobody wants Liverpool to win the league. 60% of that, at least, is because of Brendan Rodgers and because of how he was in 2013-14. Um, he is a manager who has his own trademark celebration. That just says it all for me. He's a manager who has a trademark celebration, a celebration which I should imagine he, he practised in front of his kind of glamorous second wife at home and her going, oh, fit babe, but, you know, try it with that jacket now having one arm in the air and his pursed lips and just to take attention away from his team because it always has to be about him. Um, are you two guys still there? I feel like I've been rambling on for a while. No, no, I'm listening. I'm definitely... Just for you, Steve, I'm looking up his greatest quotes. Oh, yeah. Do you want, his would quotes, you like man. an inspiration? Do you want an inspiration? I'd love to be inspired by the person who seems to believe Howard, in Howard, Game Howard, of please, Thrones. Eric. Please find the one, please find the one where he's jogging through Liverpool and, now, and he... And it, uh, that's the one that was, oh my word. That's what I was looking for, I can't find it. But in the meantime, I've, I've always said that you can live without water for many days, but you can't live for a second without hope. Oh, Come on, oh. how can that not inspire you? I believe a young oh. player will run through a barbed wire fence for you. An older player looks for a hole in the fence. See what I mean? God, I'm, already, thinks- I'm already fired up and ready to take on We the really day. are keeping with the theme of great philosophers this morning <laughs> yeah. by, 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 by giving Brendan and his quotes so much airtime. But we have, Can I just we say have really to find quickly, the Mintz quote, don't we? we I mean, we have yeah, to. Yeah, please find the Mintz quote while I quickly speak on Rogers. I tweeted the other day, I quite like Brendan Rogers. Um, I'm really sorry, Steve. Uh, maybe it's the fact that we won the title in 1314 um maybe it's the fact that secretly there was a lot that i liked about that liverpool team in 1314 they were interesting in the way that they played um maybe it's the fact that half of liverpool despises brendan rodgers and therefore instinctively if they despise it i'm like i might be all right with that thing you know um yeah, I mean, I'm just, I, I feel as though, like, even from a managerial perspective, right, I'm really glad that Sam Allardyce and David Moyes and guys like that are still unemployed. Yeah. I'm also a little bit pleased that Leicester have gone for Rodgers because, come on, let's face it, like, if you look at the dude that Southampton uh, appointed or, you know, you can go through Europe and there's lots of what you would consider hot hipster coaches, right, doing things at smaller clubs who could be given the keys of a Premier League club like Leicester in a similar way that Javi Garcia was given the Watford job, for example. And I just think that, why shouldn't Rodgers have a Premier League job? I think he did, you know, that the job that he did at Liverpool was not a terrible job. The job that he did at Swansea was not a terrible job. Um, If you look at some of the players that he... I'm not going to say developed, but if you look at some of the players who flourished under him, it shows that he can get the best out of talented attacking players. Now, he might not be able to organise a defence, but in the end, Wenger couldn't organise a defence either. It's, you know, that that balance between attacking and defending is very, very difficult in the Premier League. We'll see how it does, but yeah, in the main... I just I can't bring myself to hate him in the way that you hate him, Steve. In, really in footballing terms, it's a no-brainer. He, he, he'll do Leicester mm. a lot of good, and it's it's a great fit. It's a good it's a coup for them, frankly. 
Um, so that's, mm. that's in football in terms. But in life, in being a supporter, in following football, the fact that he has infiltrated my life once again just fills me with despair. <laughs> Howard, did you manage to find it? Can I just say first, per aspera ad astra, which is Latin, through adversity to the stars. Oh, there you go. That was Rogers there and being go. Liverpool 2012. You should watch that again tonight, Steve. Yeah. That'll calm you down. Yeah. Being Liverpool documentary. Okay, are you sat down, Steve? Yeah, go on. I love to run on the streets around here, oh, yeah. Liverpool, obviously. I love seeing the people going about their business. <sighs> These are our people. I love running late in the afternoon when the doors are open and the dinners are on and you can smell oh, the mince cooking. Jesus Christ almighty. Right, here's my big thing. I'll just very quickly have one last rant, but it'll be very quick, right? It has to yeah, be quick. he manipulated the people of Liverpool because they are very sentimental and very kind of they buy into a lot of folklore and mythology. And you know, huh? I, I, <laughs> yeah. So and he manipulated them, frankly, and and they bought it wholesale. And he spoke like he was basically part partly responsible for the building of how great Liverpool, the city, and the team and the club have been in the past. He had nothing to do with that. Now, if you look at the people who were responsible, if you look at Kenny Daglish, Kenny Daglish doesn't go around giving all this awful, nauseating claptrap about Liverpool. He never does. He doesn't need to, because if he did, for him, it would be boasting, because he created it. Brendan Rodgers didn't do that. Is it not good management from outsiders to do that? You know, like Klopp is doing, and like you know, be- I think I think a lot of the stuff that Steve dislikes Rogers for, I th- I don't really know. Like, I mean, you know, there's different ways to to turn up at a at a club, and and frankly, I think about Pellegrini, and I think about the kind of contrast between Pellegrini and Mancini, and how people said that Mancini got City, but that Pellegrini never got mm. City. And it's kind of similar to this conversation. Like Mancini came in and did the stuff that, you know, makes the supporters go, yeah, he's one of us. And Rogers in, he ingratiated himself in a way that was no different to the way that managers ingratiate themselves. I don't know. No. I mean, look at the, the perfect example for me is Rafa Benitez. Rafa Benitez, he goes in at a football club and purposely or not, but it happens time and time again. He will basically affiliate himself to the fans and make out, that out me and you lot against the board. So he, you know, he is very good at doing that, Rafa Benitez, but he doesn't do yeah, that by, you know, spouting all this sentimental claptrap, does he? Um, yeah, no, that's it's fair. It's just Rogers who does that, and it's nauseating because, you know, he's aimed at Liverpool fans, or in this instance, Leicester fans, when up and away, after about an hour of being given a job, he was saying how he was going to die to, to make the Leicester football supporters proud. For God's sake, man, just come in and manage a football club, you turd. It really annoys me, all this kind of manipulation. The more it annoys you, the more I like it. I'm just going to be really straight with you here, mate. The more you wound up, you get, the more I'm like, I hope Rodgers does really well here. Do you know what I mean? I hope they fly next season, make for some very interesting uh, League Matters podcast next season, for sure. It sounds like Steve needs another inspirational Definitely. Go on. Right, gentlemen, we have to push forward. We have to push forward. So, City won a cup final, won another trophy this week. Um, briefly, kind of looking back now, the dust has settled. Um, Howard, thoughts on on the performance, the results, 
You know, how do you feel like, you know, once a, tr- once, once a trophy is in the cabinet, is it just a case of the trophies in the cabinet really doesn't matter what happened in the final? Or can you kind of look at the final as well and be like, oh, we played well, or, you know, we were lucky. Like, how do you reflect upon the day, the trophy, the result, everything? No, no one, history books don't, doesn't note down performance levels, does it? Ratings. So obviously I'd preferred we'd won 6-0 again and we played flowing football. Uh, but as they won, then I'm not going to give too much thought to the performance. And I also thought the 6-0, you know, West Ham on Wednesday could have been a 6-0 Chelsea game if things had happened differently earlier in the game. Yeah, and Chelsea mm. was a bit of a freak in that way, the league game, because of that first 20 minutes was just, it was a one-off in some ways. You know, it just, they made mistakes and they played into our hands. Then you look at the team they put out, Chelsea and you think no they're actually they're not huge underdogs there they're not plucky you know underdogs that were just coming here and having a nice day out they're the Chelsea it's the last two champions it's and they've packed full of top quality players and basically the, the story is not more it's not about City it's more about Chelsea that Sarri did adapt he got rid of his philosophies he played boring but it was effective uh and City were frustrated, but they got there in the end. Uh, not a classic performance. And I don't think, I've said elsewhere before, in this tournament, I think you could count on one hand the great performances City have put in over the last two seasons. And we've won the trophy both seasons. Because it's that sort of competition in a way. It's, mm. it's a competition that kind of takes, you know, Pep takes it seriously, but the players never quite reach the intensity of a, a league title campaign or a Champions League. You know, changes are made. Other teams play weakened teams. Uh, the run was quite favourable to us this time. And we got there. So, yeah, we retained a trophy for the first time in our history. And uh, you could enjoy the evening knowing that we've won a trophy. So, at the end of the day, I think the performance would be, you know, over a season, it's not a standout thing to discuss. Uh, and, you know, the penalties, that's when they came of age because they are not a lottery. Uh, and I thought, you know, City clearly took better penalties. So, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of kudos to the players for doing that. You know, for how they performed at the end. Um, Steve, is do you feel a level of complacency about the domestic cups? Um, and do you think that's wrong? Complacency from the fans. Well. Yeah, from the, I'm not talking about. I'm definitely not talking about the players and the manager yeah. here. Just in general, uh, around the domestic cups, is there a level of complacency? And for a club like City, who, you know, I, I view what Guardiola said in his first season as something that is the the real definition of a winning mentality. Pep said in the first season that you know it doesn't matter whether the under 18s play or the first team plays. It doesn't matter whether the competition is a is the Premier League, the Champions League or a friendly game. Like big clubs they win every single game that they go into. That's what a that's what a winning mentality is and that's what a big club mentality is. Um do you feel that for a club like City, we just need to keep winning trophies regardless of what they are for the next 10 years because we're trying to elevate ourselves and build ourselves to that place. Yeah. Or is this a case where nobody really cares about domestic trophies? History will never look back and go, you won. You, you see the point I'm making? I do, but uh, no, it's definitely the former, not the latter, thankfully. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's four League Cups in six years. 
and you look back on um, you know Liverpool's dominance of a tournament four years running in the eighties, uh, United in the mid two thousands. It matters. It's it, you know a club basically has an affiliation with a tournament then, and that really does matter. Um, having said that, balancing that out, you have to say, and this is perfectly understandable because the League Cup is you know the least important of the four major trophies. If you're going to win that quite consistently it's not going to have that same level of excitement each and every time. It's just natural. It's going to drop off there. Uh, and we saw that, I think, against before West Ham when you know Tony Buck brought the trophy out. Now everyone stood and everyone applauded and everyone was happy to see the trophy. But what crossed my mind was imagine if that was Wolves or imagine if that was West Ham. And, yeah. you know, the, the League Cup was paraded before the game. It would be, you know, the, the cheer would be significantly louder. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm not making any... Um, critique of this, it's perfectly understandable because we've won four times in six years and of course we're winning other trophies you know, more important trophies too um, stepping aside from being a City fan and stepping aside outside of a kind of City bubble and looking at it generally I believe that the League Cup is the League Cup's value is very much underrated and the FA Cup is somewhat overrated I think the FA Cup has got problems, has got issues um, it is somewhat taken for granted, you know, not helped by the fact that the, the, the kickoff time is shoved around left, right, and centre, and played on the same gate day as league games and all the rest of it. Um, it's nowhere near as special as it used to be the FA Cup. But I think people talk down the League Cup far too much, and I think um, winning yeah. it really matters. I mean, it matters in, in many ways as well. If if you win it, you gather momentum. The team, I mean, you know, you, you kind of, this great feel-good factor can really push you on for the last three months of the season. And being a fan, it's a trip to Wembley, it's a cup final. During the season makes it, I don't know why, but it just makes it even more kind of special. Um, I guess because you're so wrapped up in the season itself. So, yeah, I, I, I loved the fact that we won the League Cup and I loved Pep's kind of outlook on winning every game. Uh, for me, it's, it's it's all a positive. Yeah, I think there's a key thing here, you know, after, since the takeover, is we're building trophy counts. And Absolutely. any trophies, yeah, not the Community Shield, that's not a trophy. Any, <laughs> any trophies, you know, to be, has its merits. And we're now, I think we're second now in, in number of trophies in this competition behind Liverpool. So, you know, you're building a history. Uh, I mean, a history. Obviously, every club has a history, uh, including us, of you know, well over a century. But you're building a trophy history, and you're building a CV. A CV, you know? exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think it obviously helps the players, as Steve said, to win something like this. Uh, the West Ham game came far too soon because of that, though. I think we'll, we'll discuss that later. Uh, Asan, you didn't do the review, did you? So. I think you should give your thoughts on the game as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I really like the uh, the League Cup final. Um, I, I'm I'm curious. I should have done. I should have thought. If I'd have thought about this before the pod, I would have done the research. But I wonder how many teams in the last ten years who've won the League Cup final have won another trophy in that season. Um, and I think that might be instructive of how the League Cup can give whoever wins it, momentum for the rest of the season. People have been kind of parroting that for a lot of years, but I wonder if there is a statistical correlation between winning the League Cup and then winning another trophy that season. Yeah. 
So it'd be worth looking at that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I loved it. I loved it because uh, it was a hard game. I don't think City were great. I thought Chelsea were really good. I think over the 120 minutes, they maybe just shaded it in terms of, you know, being a bit better than us. But what they didn't have was the spirit, the togetherness and the experience that we have. And I think that that's why we ended up winning it. And I think it was, you know, going into that penalty shootout, I didn't feel great. I didn't feel like, yeah, we're definitely winning this penalty shootout. And part of me did think, oh man, to come this far and then lose it on a penalty shootout was going to feel so disappointing. But yeah, no, all in all, um, very, very happy. And uh, can I just say, I mean, I don't know what the conversation was about who the man of the match was, but Zinchenko was my man of the match in the, uh, yeah, in the in the League Cup final. <laughs> he was, I think um, he was Lloyd's. I don't want to misquote him, but I think okay. it was both of them. I, I, I'd go for Hazard. <laughs> well, I, d- I did part two of my uh, opening question was, should the man of the match always be from the winning team? But I feel as though we haven't really got time to discuss that. Yeah, we'll just short sure answer. Do you, mean, do you mean on this pod or just generally? In general, should the man of the match always be from the winning oh, team? No, absolutely no, not. Same here. I but I think, but we're a city pod, and we kind of look at the city team yeah. and pick yeah. our favourite player. That's a different thing. But no, yeah. I mean, I had a, a very briefly when you know the football of the year. He he was a very sane, sensible person, logical person. He has said that the player of the year should always be from the champions, and that's the most illogical thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, player of the year should be the best player in yeah. You know, in a way, it's even greater achievement if you're doing it with a team that's not as good as the champ, you know, the best team. But no, I think I, no, maybe in future we, you know, we we should pick out a player from the other team as well. But okay, excellent. Listen, so um, I want to stay with Zinchenko really quickly. Uh, the put the question that I put in the agenda was, what does the future hold for him? And what I the reason I asked that is because I just wanted to say that I feel as though his development uh, in the last two years warrants a new contract. I feel as though, I'm not saying that Zinchenko is, I think we have to buy another left back in the summer, but I think that Zinchenko's versatility and his quality and his obviously obvious professionalism are just a fantastic example. And for that reason and the performances that he's put in, I would be quite disappointed actually if he was sold this summer. I think he's somebody who we should keep. He's got the right, you want players with the right, attitude along with the right quality and he's obviously got both so yeah, yeah. I, oh yeah for, stay stay yeah for me he's absolutely so the question i'm going to pose to you both because actually i believe he's very valuable now i think you're talking about 25 30 million pounds yeah. if somebody wants to buy him this summer so at 30 million pound howard would you sell him this summer if somebody made you that offer in cash no because we're not we don't need money do we so Okay. Not now Steve? we've got this this overpriced state sponsored kick deal. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that we don't have to sell a player unless we don't want the player. That's it. Really. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be stupid, you know, stupid money, and we'd have to have a specific player that could replace him. You know, that it maybe makes sense, but there's little reason to sell a player. I'm going to ask Steve a question. I'm going to ask Steve a question because I know it's going to upset him. So Steve, Brendan <laughs> Rogers gets on the phone and he's like, listen, I know that you want Chilwell. You can have Chilwell, but I want Zinchenko coming the other way. What are you saying to that? I wouldn't answer the telephone. <laughs> 
I couldn't okay. be asked with him just going through all his Game of Thrones kind of <laughs> quotes and oh no. Right. What if he'd withheld his number though and you actually <laughs> not knowing? <laughs> Stephen, it's Brendan. Oh God! Oh, I even got a shudder. Now, I'll go back to Sinchenko. If we bring in a player who we, we really want, and it transpires, you know, by looking at the squad, Pep thinks, "Well, hang on a minute. There's no room for Sinchenko here. He's going to have very limited game time." And if it's in the best, you know, a player's best interest to move on, that's really what it comes down to for me. Whether it's actually in the player's best interest, because right now it's very much in the club's best interest to keep him, because. Um, yeah, he's become a cult hero, isn't he, at City? And he's, he's much loved. I, yeah. I do wonder I, what he wants. Does he... Yeah, exactly what I was going to say. Does he want to be a left... No, I mean, position-wise as well. Yeah. Does he want to be a left-back for the rest of his career? Mm. Because yeah. at City, I can't see this changing. If he's going to be in the team, I don't think he's going to hold down a berth further up the field. Uh, but he could, you know, he could if he keeps learning this position... No one thinks he's a perfect left-back, but from the experience and being moved into this position, I can't deny how well he's done. And if he keeps developing, he, he could have a career in that position, but does he want to be that? He's all, he's grown up probably thinking he's a left-sided attacking midfielder yeah. or you know, central one. And now he's had his, you know, he's been reinvented. So I think that's relevant to him if he can adjust to, to this maybe being his future. Yeah. I think uh, I, I kind of I'd echo what you said there, Howard. In that I would very much for me, it would be about what he wants. I think he's earned the right with his performances to, firstly, if an offer comes in and he wants to go, I think obviously the club should let him go. Uh, I think Pep will. That'll be his call. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that if an offer comes in and he doesn't, you know, he feels that he wants to stay. Um, I'd, I really would keep him. I, I think that, as I said at the top, I think that the right attitude, the right technical quality, um, the performances, the consistency in terms of, you know, like he might have one or two moments in a game where he does something and he looks like a midfielder playing at left back. But in general, the consistency of his performances going back to last season. I mean, let's not forget Mendy didn't kick a ball last season and Zinchenko played quite a bit of football. It's... The consistency is pretty impressive as well. So, yeah, I would uh, I, I would like to keep him. Um, okay, boys. So, after the cup final, which we win, we have basically 72 hours. And then we have to play West Ham at home. Um, Steve, me and you did the review. Um, but before we get into that, Howard, the return of Samir Nasri, the return of Manuel Pellegrini, how were they received? And how do you remember them both? Uh, no, they were received well. Uh, and there's no reason not to, you know. When I'm trying to, you know, trying to remember in my, you know, adult brain when he left, there was a few rumours about Pelle, uh, about Pep saying, changed his mind and saying he should stay, but then as we saying he wanted to go, and I think he went to Seville, was it? Uh, but it was not acrimonious in any way. I think the fan base generally thought it was worth staying for another year that, you know, he had something to offer, uh, but it wasn't that controversial, a low move away. Uh, and Pellegrini, I think it's a shame Pellegrini. You know, I think his demeanour that you alluded to earlier, eh, Sam, about not embracing the fan base. He was very quiet. He just did his job. He didn't say anything in press conferences. Uh, it's not really endeared him to the fans in a way, but he's a huge part of our history. 
Mm. Uh, and I have fond memories because that first season was, you know, amazing. We're breaking all records then. For a debut season for him, that was amazing. And those four months with Aguero and Negredo was just joyous football, as good as it gets. Uh, you know, and he won two trophies. I don't think we'd won two before in the season. So I know it went off, you know, and it obviously it went off the boil since then. It went downhill, but he knew he was a... We knew everyone knew what he knew what he was. We knew what he was. He was a stopgap caretaker manager for three years, and I'm very thankful for the job he did. Uh, as for Nazri, I just one of those. He's a footballer you play. Yeah, you, know, you pay money to watch. Basically, he's that sort of footballer on his day. Absolutely, just beautiful, sublime footballer, but just not at the very very top level because of consistency. Uh, mm. And you look back, he scored some big. He scored some big goals. The goal in Rome, the winner against Chelsea in our title winning season. That was a huge goal and a beautiful goal as well. Uh, the league winning goal against West Ham. Yeah, the West Ham as well to calm the nerves. Uh, yeah. So I mean, it's not all about goals, but you know, he could he, he could score a goal, and that one at, at Wembley in the League Cup final yeah. is one of the greatest goals Oof. scored at the you know. I'm saying in two minutes we scored two of the greatest goals seen in the tournament, but <laughs> at the sta- at the new stadium, uh, consistency. A lazy racial stereotypes will say that he had a you know being French he had an attitude problem because the national team was always for was always imploding on itself a lot of the time. Uh, he spoke his mind, didn't he? And he spoke his mind, and he's a hero to me for telling Arsenal fans what he thought of them. And it just. You know, but I think we appreciated him. He didn't leave under bad circumstances and he should be applauded back, you know, when he comes back to the club. But on the day, him, Zabaleta, Pelle, you know, Pellegrini, I was too nervous about needing a result to really concentrate on that a lot, which is a shame. Yeah. And, you know, if we'd be 4 0 up when Zabaleta came on, I'd, I'd probably have been a bit more, you know, celebratory, but I was still tense then. So it's uh, a shame. But yeah, no, it is good to see them. And, uh, uh, all three of those players, obviously Zabaleta, that's a no-brainer. All three of them played a part in the most su- successful period in our club's history. Mm. Um, Steve, do you think that um, do you think that Pellegrini will be a success at West Ham? I believe so. Yeah, um, I don't think they've got. I think Hammers fans are a fairly realistic bunch, in my experience, and they know what their capabilities are. And when you know annoyance sets in, is when those capabilities aren't even kind of anywhere near reached. As long as they're in that stratosphere, as long as they're in kind of you know the top twelve and playing good football and competing, uh, and as long as they've got their kind of you know the Anatoviches and the, the connection to certain players like Zaba and Noble and and, and Anatovich, then they they turn up and, and you know, there are no problems there and the board will be happy with him. And so it depends what you define as successful, really. I mean, ideally, I would love to see West Ham win a domestic trophy, um, you know, for the fans, because I've got an awful lot of time for the fans. So um, it'd be great if, if West Ham, not this year, obviously, but next year, um, you know, won the FA Cup or something like that. That'd be great to see. Uh, and if Pellegrini was at the helm, that'd be great to see too, because, you know, he did an awful lot of good, obviously, for Manchester City. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I think he'll remain in the job uh, for a good couple of years and he will improve them. And they seem to have got over this weird, I mean, largely down to the stadium move, but also because of the awful board that they have. 
Um, yeah. They seem to have got over that big road bump. Uh, and there's a little bit of stability now, a bit of harmony at the club. That's the key word, I think, a bit of harmony. Um, and hopefully that continues. I think Pellegrini's bought that stability and harmony. Yes, yeah, I, I think, think you're right. That, that, that the recruitment under him has been good. Uh, I think that the football that they try to play... I mean, it's interesting because, you know, at City, uh, it, it, when you listen to West Ham fans, what they say is pretty similar to what City fans said when when Pellegrini was, was the manager. Um, but the difference is that because for West Ham, there isn't, you know, the stakes aren't the Premier League title or not the Premier League title. They're much more fine with it than I think we were towards the end with Pellegrini. And that is just that, you know, they're happy with the attacking, attractive football and they accept the fact that they might be a bit open at the back and that there will be games where they might get turned over. But, you know, for the most part, I think that he has stabilised them. And I really do think that if you look at what he did at Villarreal and, and Malaga, I think that the West Ham job is a similar situation where I think that he can have... Uh, relatively speaking, similar success uh, over the next two or three years. And it sounds like the, the supporters are behind him, which is always a, a big, big thing, whichever whichever club you're at. Um, hey, Howard, uh, me and Steve did the review and we kind of talked about the West Ham game. And I said that I felt that we, I was quite surprised the morning after the game that a lot of people had suggested that City's win was nervy. It never felt nervy to me in the sense that I felt that we battered them over the 90 minutes, created a ridiculous amount of chances. And I didn't really feel that threatened by what they were doing on the attack. And actually, when I reflected upon it, even after the review, I felt as comfortable as I did in a couple of the uh, Mourinho derbies at, yeah. at, at Old Trafford, where we sort of, you know, it might only there might only have been one goal in it, but there may as well have been 10 goals in it because I just didn't ever feel like they were coming back. Um is that me being overconfident, or you see what I mean? Like, do you how did how did you see it in the ground? Was it much more nervy than that? Yeah, well, that's my natural state. If we're not a minimum of three goals up, I'll be honest. From about eighty minutes on, I don't think they had much intention of of attacking us. I don't think they had anything left in the tank. I don't think they were that bothered. And uh, yeah, the, you know, I look at the fact those four minutes of injury time. I did, yeah. Considering the circumstances, like, you know, it'd be quite disastrous to concede a goal now. It wasn't that nervy. Uh, you never felt that they were going to break and score. And, I, you know, towards the last 15 minutes, I didn't really f- sense that they had much left in them either. So when you step back, yeah, it, you know, at the time, it's it's always different at the time because you're frustrated at the chances and you're wondering if they're going to, you know, every City fan thinks it at some point, you know, it's typical City will miss these chances and they'll make will pay for it. They'll score from one chance. Mm. You know, when they had one chance and uh, Edison saved it. But all I always say, yeah, I said as soon as we lost two players in the cup final and and we played under twenty minutes and the fact we played in a cup final, this was a very troublesome game. And with that in mind, my worry going into the game is utter fatigue and they they have got a very good squad. They really yes. have. I know they've got players like they've got Yarmolenko out for ages, haven't they? Uh, what's his name? Arnautovic had a, a virus. Lanzini's still not... Well, he's played one half. Uh, it's great players that could destroy you. You know, they're so up and down West Ham. But on the day, they're so dangerous. And that was my worry. And that didn't happen. So, yes, yes stepping back, our utter domination and suffocation of them, I was very happy with that. 
maybe it was more mental fatigue as well as physical fatigue that that made us so wasteful in front of goal. But I don't think we can take a lot away from that, apart from the fact that we did win the game. And this is one of this is one of the key games of the season where the result was more important than anything else. Because mm. I don't think you take much more away from it. As long as we get the result, as long as no one got injured, not really bothered about anything else. Okay. Um, are we a more stable side than we give ourselves credit for? Stay, I'll ask you first, and then Howard, you can answer this as well. And I guess what I mean is that, obviously, with Fernandinho not being available midweek, with Laporte and Stones being out, we were really down to third and fourth choice centre-backs. We had Zinchenko at left-back, Danilo stepped in at right-back, you've got Gundogan in front of them. It's, you know, on paper, it's got disaster written all over it, and yet the game unfolds in such a way that we feel defensively very stable. Um, so the question at the beginning is, are we more stable than we give ourselves credit for? Is the squad deep enough that actually we can handle a lot of these injuries? Um, yeah, I, I, the short answer is yes. And I think um, a large part of that is Vinny Company. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. he marshaled the back line very well. He, he marshaled the players around him very well in a game where Howard, just said, you know, the win was everything. And so you needed that experience, that kind of calming experience there um, just to exert on, on teammates. So video was key. Um, yes, we do have some injuries and it is, it's frustrating because the kind of narrative was, right, we've had our injury crisis now and from here on in, all these players are going to return and they're going to get fresher and fresher and then we're going to be starting to peak around this time and all of a sudden, we're kind of facing a, a mini injury crisis. Um, so that in itself is a source of frustration. Um, made all the worse, by the way, that Vinny, I think, is, is one yellow away from uh, being suspended. So that's a worry uh, with the defensive kind of uh, absences we've got right now for Laporte. Go back to your question, um, the stability of it and the reliability as well, um, where no matter what is thrown at this City team, they, 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 they produce the goods and I think in addition to the experience of company and in addition to, to the, the vast experience of people like David Silva and um, you know Sergio Aguero it's just I know this is really simplistic mate but I think it's just a lot of it's down to just how good we are mm. you know but that that is you know the key aspect really to you know if you've got injuries and if you've got like um, problems presented to you the best way to overcome those problems is to be very, very good. And we are. <laughs> okay. I, I completely agree. I completely concur. We are very, very, very good. Uh, Howard, uh, I asked a question of, actually, I didn't ask a question of Steve yesterday. Me and Steve got into a, I got a little heated with Steve when I asked him how we coped without Fernandinho and how well Gundogan had played. And it, it, he tried to caveat Howard. it with, What's that? It, it, uh, it, was, it wasn't nice. Oh, I've listened to well, it. I don't remember you falling out. It wasn't really a fallout, but I did I did ask the question of why when somebody else plays in the number six role and they do well, we tend to caveat it with, well, they weren't really put under a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, how do you feel? Do you feel that we overemphasize the importance of Fernandinho? Tough question. No, because I thought, I mean, well, a bit, yeah. 
<laughs> no. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's just a footballer who's very good. I think. Yeah, you know, the thing with Fernandinho is he's, he's he's not doing one role, is he? He's kind of two players in one. He's not just that defensive screen. He just you know he's shown at his peak. He's had lots of had a few troughs at City, Fernandinho. Yep. But I think we appreciate. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, players will have them. Uh, yeah, even Messi might have a few. Uh, uh, it's just that he has, he has so much more than just being a, a defensive midfielder. About not being tested, well, part of that is the fact that you're dominating the game and the player in that position is part of that, that's stopping the, the opposition getting the ball. So it's not just the fact that they had it easy that day. They're part of the reason that they're not being tested is that they're just, you know, like against West Ham, they're suffocating the opposition. I don't, I don't think with the games we've got, you know, the biggest, biggest games you want, let's be honest, we want Fernandinho in that role. But with the games coming up in the next few weeks, we can't really complain having the likes of Gundogan there or even Danilo filling in in that position. Yep. <clears throat> you know, I think it, it's at that well, it, it's at, like these sort of games coming up, we really can't complain and, and we can't we can't claim as a fan base with the depth of our squad that Fernandinho's loss is going to have, it really shouldn't have catastrophic effect on our team or our results. Yeah, um, I also felt in the West Ham performance that one of the reasons that we were defensively so stable was because De Bruyne is much fitter and therefore was much more capable, along with Zinchenko, of standing next to Gundogan and making sure that we were never overly exposed on the break. And also that from a creative point of view, that we didn't have Fernandinho's passing from deep, but to counter that, we had both De Bruyne and Zinchenko stepping into midfield to have another passing option. And also Vinny took much more responsibility in terms of moving the ball really quickly and really crisply from the back and moving it forward through the line. So I think that we have ways of dealing with Fernandinho being missing that generally should, that mean that we shouldn't have that excuse. Like you just said, basically, if we don't beat Bournemouth, we can't turn around and go, well, we didn't beat Bournemouth because Fernandinho no. was out. Because if that's the case, yeah, that's not cool. Oh. You don't build a squad like that and then complain that you can't be, you know, an, uh, what are effectively an average team in Bournemouth. Yeah, and not when they've got six players out as well. So, Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the thing that, you know, I mean, I, I guess that <clears throat> I, I sort of asked the question about injuries because I, I, I felt as though, you know, 48 hours ago, everybody was like, oh my God, we're having an injury crisis. And actually, Stones and, and Jesus are back training. Mendy's back training. So the only players out are Laporte and Ferner. Appreciate they're both very important to us. But Pep pretty much said that Ferner will be back after the international break, which means that the only league games he's missing are, are uh, uh, the midweek one and the one tomorrow. He's already suspended from the Schalke games. So he was never going to play in that anyway. So... I don't actually even think it's no. that much of a crisis. At this time of the season, I'd say that's below average number of injuries. For a totally. Team. And for, for one that's going on four fronts, that's way below average. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, excellent. So is there anything else that either of you want to add on the West Ham performance or results before I push this forward and we begin to look at this weekend's fixtures? Yeah, look, let's look ahead at a, a North London derby. This is what I'm saying. So anybody who plays the narrative game, 
get your shots ready because there'll be a lot of narrative talk <laughs> in the next two or three minutes. Disagreements, I feel. Yeah. Narrative, narrative, narrative. So, Oh, um, hang on. You're going to kill a lad. <laughs> uh, poor lad. It'll be all right. It'll be all right. Um, Steve, has Pochettino uh, run his course at Spurs? <laughs> Is it, is it time for is it time for him to move on? Um, if I was Pochettino, I would move on, yes, because um, that situation is not going to change at Spurs. So all he can do is still achieve what he's achieving right now, um, which would be enough for the media. But eventually, I think people will rise up that you know it, it's what he's doing there is a very good job. But he really needs to prove himself now. He really needs, in terms of his kind of uh, reputation. He needs to, you know, go on to the next level now and start winning things and, you know, um, really challenge himself with the best kind of um, players available and and in the transfer market too. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't move on if I was Pochettino. I think he has kind of hit that level at Spurs. Uh, where we disagree, Exan, you know, I, I think he's an exceptional manager. And I think if he when he does move on, to whether it be Real Madrid or Manchester United or whoever, I think he will prove to be a big success. Um, you you have your doubts, don't you? Well, it's not so much that... Uh, I mean, OK, look, Pochettino's done a really good job at Spurs. There's no doubt about that. But Howard, and maybe I'll throw this over to you then. Oh. Um, what, I, what I find quite interesting is, well, I mean, no, no, you, you, you're both kind of chuckling away, but I think it's a fair question. Oh, no, I'm chuckling at Howard. the Premier League table, <laughs> if you look at the Premier League table and you look at the difference in terms of points between Spurs and Arsenal, and then you look at the way that the respective managers are spoken about, um, Pochettino has been held up as the next Real Madrid or Man United manager, as witnessed by what Steve <laughs> just said, whereas Emery's a little bit of a figure of fun. And if you actually look at the, the league positions, it's a little bit like the Sarri thing where, you know, Solskjaer's definitely getting the United job and is doing an incredible job, yeah. whereas Sarri is done and, you know, is a figure of fun. And yet, if you look at the way that Sarri and Emery, and for the moment we're talking about Emery, if you look at the way he's performing in the league and the fact that he's still in the Europa League, I don't I don't get it. What's the truth of both of these managers' seasons? Like, is why is Pochettino so held up in such high esteem when I'm kind of looking at him and I'm going, he's not won anything. At a certain point, you do have to win something. He's had one of the best collection of players in the league in the last four or five years. Look at this season. I would argue they have a much better squad, even with the injuries that they have, than Arsenal have. It's Emery's first season in the league. People argue that it's more difficult to play in the Europa League and still finish in the top four than it is to play in the Champions League because of the Thursday-Sunday thing. Why is Pochettino being held up as like, you know, dude's got to go to Real Madrid? I, 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 what's the difference here? It, to be fair, I can't totally disagree with you because you are, the narrative is the key point here. It's Our media are just appalling for narratives. Because, of course, well, I, no, I'm not having a go. I mean, we all, you know, anyone that writes has to write all season on football and they have to write totally. about something. So I'm not, this is not some, oh, you're all rubbish, you know, idiots. Right? <laughs> and and the, the job is the way is to follow narratives. But yeah, look at Sarri two weeks, you know, people love it. The, the Premier League was uncompetitive and dying 
as the season started because City were going to dominate for the next 10 years. And journalists, writers I respected actually wrote articles on that. And now we're not, yeah, we're not top. <laughs> Liverpool might win the league. And it, it's, and then Sarri was, you know, just dead man walking. Now he's had a good week. And yeah, and Arsenal in crisis at some point, but then they win some games. And then Pochettino loses two and he's terrible again. Uh, you're right. It's just like every week it's, every single manager seems to be reinvented as either a fraud. It's all black and white. It's, there's no like nuance in, in analysing them. And yeah, the four points ahead of Arsenal. I just, the thing where I disagree, disagree with you, I don't, I don't think that squad is quite as good as you make them out. Or if it is as good, it's because he has moulded them. But I will say, to agree with you, Pochettino has had the time and freedom to do this because he's not expected to win trophies. And he's been very good at building a narrative of, I don't, you know, we don't need to win trophies. But I still think he's done a very good job and better than you think he has, eh, Sam? Because at the end of the day, they did buy anyone in the summer. The squad is good, not because he went out and bought lots of fifty million pound players, and you can't, you can't judge him until he's in a team that's expect. You know, he's got the resources and the players and the budget for a club that is expected to win trophies. Then we'll see how good he is. Truly, he does need to move on. I think he's been. I think United have shafted him to be honest, because Solskjaer's going to stay there now, and that mm. was the move he was probably planning uh, to do in the summer. Yeah. So he's now in a. He's now speaking out a bit more, saying he's probably going to say to the board, "Back me here," because he's, he's suddenly realised he might have to stay there. You know, I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, don't know if a Real Madrid job's going to come up or a Barcelona job, or but I would imagine, I'm speculating here, that he had his eye on the United job, and that's when we would have judged him. But I'd still rather have Solskjaer there than Pochettino because I know he's not won anything, but he's not been in a position to. I think he's has his flaws. He's he's disregarded domestic cups when they were the best chance of winning stuff. Uh, and he's, you know, that's helped him build a squad because he's not playing as many games. But you can't deny they've put in some, you know, the Champions League performances, and beating Dortmund 3-0. He's a very, very good manager, but he does have his flaws and they do burn out. And at the end of the day, you can only judge him at the end of the season, as you say, Asan, if he slips down the table now, then, yeah, it's hard to analyse just how good he is. See, for me, the thing is that I look at that, I said this to Steve before we began, I look at that collection of players, I think particularly if you go back two or three seasons, right, and you're talking about, you know, Aldevereld, Vertonghen, Rosen Walker, uh, peak Victor Wanyama, Moussa Dembele when he's fit, Christian Eriksen, Son, Deli Ali, Harry Kane. You look at that collection of players and you go, how on earth have you won nothing with that collection of players? That's poor for me. Um, and I just, I think that, you know, as I say, I just, for me, the, the, the distinction is really, yes, Pochettino's done a really good job at Spurs, but he's had the time and he's done that really good job. We're now trying to judge Sarri and Emery after four or five months and going like, yeah. oh yeah, they're, they're kind of treated like clowns a little bit. And, you know, like I, I, I heard my, my head exploded when I heard, Mr. Michael Cox on a podcast this week saying like, you know, really grumpily just going, well, uh, Chelsea just needs to sack Sarri. Sarri just needs to go. And like, they're like, well, why? Well, because obviously he's given up on Sarri ball. Could, did you see the way that they played against Manchester City? I mean, that's a disgrace. That's the way that Mourinho or Conte would have played. And it's like, hold on, mate. So when they get turned over 6-0... 
the narrative is Sarri doesn't know what he's yeah. doing. He should never play like that uh, when he's coming up against Guardiola. Fast forward a week and he plays in a different way. And now the narrative for the, from the footballing intelligentsia like Coxie is, oh no, like he shouldn't do that. That's terrible. Where's Sarri ball gone? It's like, make your mind up, lads. You, and again, he's been in the league like four or five months. Yeah, I, and I did think I, that was weird what Michael Cox said. Because it was really surely, surely he can adapt and then bring in Saribo when he gets his players. Yeah, isn't that what everyone was telling him to do? He's, exactly, you can't say he's abandoned it forever, can you? Exactly, and I think this is where I get a bit gripey about the Pochettino thing, where I sort of go, Pochettino kind of gets treated a little bit like Mourinho did during his first stint. At- in England, where it just feels like whatever Poch does or says, everybody just stands on a chair and applauds. Like the dude came out in a press conference and said trophies are all about ego, right? And the mainstream media, if Brendan Rodgers had said that, he would be laughed out of the country and probably never allowed to manage in the Premier League again. However, Poch says it, (laughs) Poch says it, and everybody goes, well, yeah, he's right. You know, I mean, nobody cares about the League Cup. It's just, there's a lot of stuff around Pochettino that I feel as though the hype is beginning to exceed on what he's delivering. And a lot of that, for me, does come back to this notion of he's got top players and if you've got top players, that's half the job done. So go and win summer. If one year, just go out. I'm going to win the League Cup this year because then at least I can say I've won summer. Yeah, and that. Well, what do you? I mean, I don't think they have the depth that other teams do. But what? What do you? How would you react to that if you hear it as a fan? Firstly, oh well, our manager isn't interested in winning cups, and they've won nothing in. But they won the League Cup. Is that it in the last 15, 20 years, or whatever? Yeah. And how do you react as a player if you're Kane, if you're Ali? Thinking, well, I'm just going to be here for five years, just and all these totally. all he's interested in is slowly getting us up the league table a bit, maybe, uh, totally. and he's not really interested in getting trophies. So I might be here for ten years, have a good career, but not actually win anything. It doesn't really send out a very good uh, message to both your fan base and to the players there that know that they can get huge money moves and better wages elsewhere. He's doubled down on it this week as well by saying that it'll be five to ten years before uh, before Spurs can win the title. And it's just like, wow, can you imagine all of those players in that dressing room right now? Go, Harry Kane going, really? Five to ten years before Spurs win a winner? And we don't care about the domestic trophies because they're all about ego. So the only thing we're going for is the Premier League and we're not going to win it for five to ten years. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I'm beginning to feel like Poch gets away with murder at times. Can I just interject just and say that, I mean, for starters, he's not telling his players that. He's not saying it's going to be 10 years before we're in the league. He's telling them precise opposite. He's saying <clears throat> possibly before the Burnley defeat, he was telling them, this is in your hands, lads. We can do it. You have the ability to do so. Um, I do believe that he gets away with murder completely. He's a media darling. But I do think that what the consequence of that is what I'm seeing, perhaps with you, Asa, perhaps not, but uh, people readdressing that and by readdressing it, they, they perhaps go too far the other way and, and kind of play down how good a manager he is uh, to kind of you know, get some balance there from what the media are saying. A perfect example of how he is a media darling is that post-Burnley game, he lost the plot spectacularly with Mike Dean, um, and people were critical of that. And then he apologised, and all I saw on Twitter from journalists as well, like proper respected journalists, what a class act Pochettino is. I mean, what's that about? I'll tell you what, right? I, I live about 20 yards from a shop. I'll go down now, shoplift. 
And then later on, I'll say, oh, sorry for shoplifting. And then, like, all the shopkeepers around the area will applaud me. You're a class act, you are, yeah. What the, how does that work? So, yeah, I completely agree with all that. Um, moving on to the game itself and the importance of this game. Yeah, who's going to win? Like, get, predict me a winner. Right, well, here's one game. for you, right? Um, oh, sorry, my, my very final point on Pochettino and Emery. I do believe as well that you're you've exaggerated possibly the wrong word, but you've overstated the criticism that Emery gets. I don't think he is made out to be a clown too much by the media. No, I don't. I think he gets a fair amount of respect from the media, and I think when the results slip, suddenly after two defeats, it's a crisis, and Emery you know, doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, of course, but that is for the, the, the curse of foreign managers in their first season in English football. I mean, we've even seen it with Pep, didn't we? Um, but anyway, moving on to this weekend. Since 1992... The Manchester Derby has seen th- uh, seven. No, sorry, thirteen percent of Manchester derbies have been draws. Forty-four percent of North London derbies have been draws. So I'm going for a draw. Um, they've had more yellow cards since 1992 than any other top six battle apart from the Merseyside derby. So there's your bet right there. A draw, probably a scoring draw, with lots of yellow cards. Uh, and I, 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 that's my prediction. I think it'll be a two-two. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go before you, Howard. For everything I've just said about Poch, I think that Spurs will turn Arsenal over this week <laughs> um, because I just think that they've. I think they've had a really poor week, and I think that uh, he will. It'll be one of those cup final moments where Pochettino will have that team absolutely ready, and he'll know that even a draw is probably, it puts them under a type of pressure that they never, considering seven days ago, they were still being talked about as being title challenges. And actually somebody said to me that, you know, it's in Spurs' hands or something mental like that because they've got to play City (laughs) and Chelsea, um, City and Liverpool, sorry. It's it's crazy to think that a week later they, they end up in a situation where they could be fighting for the top four, but that's exactly how that could pan out. So for that reason, I do think, that they'll uh, they'll nick it, and also because Arsenal have been really, it is Emery's first season. They have been a bit unpredictable, um, a little bit inconsistent, and I think that that's what um, I think that in the big games, I think Poch can get that that squad of Spurs players in the right frame of mind to go into those big games. Um, so yeah, maybe I've contradicted myself a little bit because I criticise Poch so much, but I do think that they're actually going to nick it. I think it'll be tight. I think it'll be two one two. Uh, I, I, I think. I think. Power. Sorry, Howard, before you uh, say yours. I, I think Spurs in itself are a contradiction this season in many many ways. That they are nine points behind Liverpool right now. Now they're not going to win the league. We know Spurs aren't going to win the league, but mathematically. If you look at the games left to play and the, and the fixtures they've got, with coming to Anfield and going to City, that, that, that they've got a fighting chance of winning the league in that regard. They've lost eight times this season. They've lost eight games, for God's sake. That's, they never draw. That's they never that. draw, yeah, which is makes my prediction of a draw a bit stupid, to be honest. But <laughs> <laughs> well, they've got to break it at some yeah. point, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. So, uh, I'm looking forward to the game, so it's bound to be a nil-nil now. But I do I think Arsenal have fueled. I think they are fueled by their, their home form. So I, I think Spurs will shade this as well. Uh, 2 1, maybe. Nice. Very nice. But I'm just looking at them. No, they haven't drawn a. That's a. Me- they've not it's drawn metal, a single isn't it? league Absolutely game. Absolutely metal. Yeah. 
absolute. I mean, City have only drawn two, so but obviously we've won two more as well. So yeah, not one single draw. In t- <laughs> it's that is madness. Yeah, they, they, conceivably is... they could go through the whole season without drawing, which I well, I'm sure it has been happened before, but only once or twice, I should imagine. Yeah. Mm. Um, right, gentlemen. The small matter of Bournemouth versus Manchester City this weekend. Um, big game again. We've got a week off after this. Um, so I think that even though fatigue may play its part, I think the fact that they've got a week off after it hopefully doesn't play that much uh, of a part. Um, so I keep reading and hearing about the fact that City playing first applies pressure on Liverpool. Um Steve, where do you stand on that? Do you agree with that? That you know there is added pressure that's put on the 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 challenger when you play first. Um, I, that is very much uh, a debate that has kind of you know you could fall on either side of the fence. There really, it depends on on your personal outlook on life, I guess, and how, how much you see uh, how how full a glass of water is. Um, in this instance, though, I think it absolutely plays into City's hands. Um, because you know, of course, a, a good aspect, a big aspect as well, is who you're playing. Um, so here we've got a game which is certainly no gimme, but with six players missing and Eddie Howe insistent on Bournemouth playing the same style of football, whoever they're against, City could and should prevail. And if they do, that means we're two points ahead of Liverpool, and Liverpool have got a Merseyside derby to get back into the reckoning. Suddenly, that's a massive switch of pressure. So, in this instance, um, I would personally rather go last. Um, but in this instance, I think City have very much got the advantage in going first. Okay, okay. Um, Howard, I wrote in the notes, is this game as big as West Ham and the Cup final? Um, what do you think? I can't. <laughs> uh, yeah. Will that do? No, because I'm, I'm trying to. What I'm trying to get. Uh, what I'm trying to get some context on really is how we, whether literally between now and the end of the season, we're at a point where every single game is a cup final mm. because of how the pace that both Liverpool and City are setting. Um, so, and if that is the case for you, then how do you approach this from a selection? point of view um i guess the key positions and it's been similar throughout the season the key positions certainly this week with the injuries that we've got are fullbacks the number eights and the wingers um looking at the cup final looking at the performance in midweek what is your team for for bournemouth and why yeah uh i can't tell you to be honest i think because of the week off i think you know, we're going about signing stats and players in the red zone and stuff like that. I think the team should be, you know, because we've got depth there and there's not a great drop-off, you know, if we pick certain players over other players, I think he'll go with the freshest team and I think he should go with the freshest team. I can't okay. tell you what that is. I would assume if Jesus <coughs> is, is there, is it important? I mean, you know, if we felt, let's say we only get a draw and they... Liverpool beat Everton. We're three points behind. It is what it is. I think looking forward, yeah, the thing is, you know, never look at the fixture list and think, oh, they won't drop points there. Joint points will be dropped by both teams in the most unexpected of places, I imagine, like we already have three times this season. 
So, yeah. you know, it's not the be-all and end-all. But with 10 games we don't to want go... To, yeah, we don't want a, that gap. This is... It, theoretically, we've got the easier game this weekend, but it just doesn't work like that. So we, we don't want to drop off. I think we'll go with a fresher side. So if Jesus, Mace come in, uh, Walker will come back in. Uh, Sterling didn't start. and Bernardo Silva didn't start during the week, so they can come in. Uh and uh, yeah, I think the well, the defence itself depends on Stone's match fitness. So he'll come in, uh, and I think you just go with the fresher side. So I think you know David Silva drops out. I think, and you use what you've got. I think you know Zinchenko probably stays in. I don't think you know. He don't seem the sort who's uh, going to be exhausted. He's got young. He's full of energy, but we don't have as many options there. I think Zinchenko, Walker, and probably. I think you know Vincent Company probably has to have a rest now after mm. the amount he's played this week. So it's an Otamendi Stones if that's plausible. Uh, Gundogan's yep. still in. Get Jesus up front. Get Sterling and Bernardo in, and I think Kevin De Bruyne will stay in the team. Who plays alongside De Bruyne then? Foden is the only option. If David Silva drops to the bench, if Bernardo Silva's playing from the right, if Gundogan is playing as a six, then does Phil Foden start? Well, not Bournemouth? if Sane. Starts. It depends what he does with Sane. If Bernardo right. can go into the middle, I'm not convinced right. he'll do that. I mean, I, we just don't know, do we? I, mm. I still, honestly, do not think he will start Foden. <laughs> so, so he may play both the wide players. Okay. I don't, okay. yeah, and I don't think he'll start Mares. So, mm. I don't think he will either. I don't. I don't think Mares will start. I. I'm a bit on the fence with Leroy. Um, Steve, what's your vibe? Do you is there anything that you vehemently disagree with? No, but it's I'm pretty much of the same opinion. Um, I'm absolutely split on uh, David Silver and Foden. Um, I personally would love for this to be the game, and that's away from home, but to give him his Premier League debut um, or Premier League you know, start. Uh, but I think it's going to be David Silver. And I think I think it's a, a missed opportunity there. I think this is a perfect game to to put Phil in, uh, perfect opponents mm-hmm. to put him up against. Um, so yeah, it's, it'll be a shame that. But that side, I'm completely with you guys. I, I think uh, I, I completely agree with Howard that the main thing at this point is to play the freshest team, which is why perhaps as well we do have a problem with, with centre backs because. Is, is Stones ready? We do not know. You know, it's a big difference between yeah. being fit and ready. Uh, and, yeah. and the same goes for Jesus as well. So if that's the case, and we're starting with two players there who you know, we're having a little gamble on in terms of their freshness. So I don't know. It's, this is a, a particularly interesting lineup, I think, this weekend. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that Vinny and Otamendi will end up starting again. Um, I think that they'll just have to, t- I think they will just take that risk. Um, Walker and and Zinchenko after the performance that Zinchenko has put in this week I expect them both to be in Um, Gundogan in interesting thing on David Silva I've seen a lot of people say when is David Silva going to get rest and I wonder whether the issue with David Silva it's not fitness it's just form and I wonder whether he keeps getting picked because he's fit enough to play there's no kind of fitness issues and Pep's kind of looking at it and going, it's David Silva. If David Silva is fit, he plays ahead of Phil Foden. Do you, you I, see the I point? I completely agree, 100%. That, that it's, it's not, a, in that sense, I don't feel impatient. If it's just a case that Silva's not informed, then he'll play again tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? Because 
doesn't matter if he's in form or out of form. He's got the experience in the class that away at Bournemouth, which actually, I think for me, Foden, if he was going to play, would have played in midweek at home. Yeah. I think away from home against an opponent like Bournemouth, who, you know, they have a good, decent record at home. They do pose threats to the opposition at home. And for that reason, I expect that Pep, much like midweek, much like the cup final, will want his most experienced team in a way. So if David Silva is fit, then, and I expect uh, Silva to play, I think it'll be Bernardo and, and Raz. I think the, the, the substitutions midweek make it clear that Bernardo and Raz start at the weekend. And then I think Aguero will start again because he was absolutely unbelievable against West Ham. Um, and I think that when when he puts in a performance like that, it's an absolute no-brainer that you that you pick him again. I don't know. I did read Pep say that he was exhausted towards the end, so that's my yeah, that's definitely. My yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard. I mean, that's the one caveat that we, I guess, we've just got to have. It's just we don't know who's in the red zone, so to speak, and 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 who's not in the red red zone. Um, are we all? Confident that we get through this weekend with a win. Howard, predict me a... You don't have to predict me a result. Just a yes or no on whether we'll win is fine. I'll give you a result. Uh, Go on, then. No, I don't, I don't think it's going to be easy. But the, just the strangest of teams are literally... They are. I mean, away from home, I'd be disappointed if we only scored four. Uh, but with this, I won't... You know, but away... Uh, you know, if they were away from home, Bournemouth. Uh, but with... But on their own ground... Uh, just a totally different team. We've got players out. I say, uh, I think Callum Wilson's out, Solanke's out, and two of the cooks are out. They've, you know, they've got some injuries themselves. Uh, so I think it'll be a nervy win, two-one. Okay, okay. I think if I'm, uh, I think if I'm going to predict a result, I, I think that it will be very similar. But I think that we will, I think we'll get our scoring um, boots back, so to speak, and and I expect us to win by a couple of clear goals. I know that Bournemouth are, are good at home, but I expect us to play... Like, if we play with the same quality that we put in against West Ham, then I expect us to score goals yeah. uh, because I don't expect us to be as profligate as we were in midweek. Um, yeah, and if that's the case, then I think we win by by a couple of uh, clear goals. I'm um, sure right. Eddie Howe's one, you know, the sort to, to compromise, so to speak. But, you know, you yeah. look back to last season, the closest problems, real problems, and restricted us. Yes. But that's a long time ago. Historically, we've absolutely got, you know, we, we've just won virtually. I think the goal they scored at home last year is the only one they've scored against us. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've got a ridiculous, yeah, you know, at their ground maybe. Uh, we've absolutely got an amazing record, but I don't hold that. That doesn't really count for much <laughs> come tomorrow. So we will see. No. No, absolutely. Um, right. On that note, I think I'm going to wrap this up. Stephen had to leave us rather suddenly, so we don't get to uh, get a prediction off him, but I'm sure that he would have predicted a City win as well. Um, Mr. Hawking, thank you very much. Uh, pleasure as always. Stephen Tudor, thank you very much, wherever you are. <laughs> um, to everybody who listened, thank you very much. This was the th- Friday show on the 9320 podcast. We'll be back on the 9320 player after the weekend with a review of the Bournemouth game. In the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.